0: Live show, end of October. Dracula will be there. Will you?
1: Dracula, by Bram Stoker. presented by the Oakville Plays. Previously, the captain of the Demeter loses his crew one by one until only he remains, with a terrible monster on board. A great storm blows the wreck of the Demeter into Whitby, with all hands dead except for a large dog that escapes on land. Mina joins Lucy for a visit at Whitby as she worries about Jonathan's prolonged absence. Lucy's sleepwalking takes her across town. Amina frets she may have caught a chill. And two pinpricks on her throat. Dr. Seward notes a maniacal change in his zoophagus or life-eating patient, Renfield, as he tries to escape to the empty house next door.
2: I am here to do your bidding, Master. I worship you long and afar off.
1: Episode 4 a long span of east wind. Letter from Sister Agatha, Hospital of St. Joseph and St. Mary, Budapest, to Miss Wilhelmina Murray, 12th August. Dear Madam, I write by the desire of Mr. Jonathan Harker who is himself not strong enough to ride, though progressing well, thanks be to God. He has been under our care for nearly six weeks, suffering from a violent brain fever. He wishes me to say that he has not sufficient money with him, and that he would like to pay for his staying here, so that others who need shall not be wanting for help. Yours, with sympathy and all blessings, Sister Agatha. Postscript. My patient being asleep, I open this to let you know something more. He has told me all about you, and that you are shortly to be his wife. He has had some fearful shock, so says our doctor, and his ravings have been dreadful of wolves and poison and blood, of ghosts and demons, and I fear to say of what. (sighs) Ah, be careful with him always, that there may be nothing to excite him. The traces of such an illness do not lightly die away. We should have written long ago, but we knew nothing of his friends, and there was on him nothing that anyone could understand. He came in the train from Klausenburg, and the guard was told by the stationmaster there that he rushed into the station, shouting for a ticket for home. They gave him a ticket for the furthest station that the train reached. Be assured that he is well cared for. He has won all hearts by his sweetness and gentleness. I have no doubt in a few weeks he will be himself. But be careful of him for safety's sake. There are, I pray to God, many, many happy years for you both. 19th
3: August. Joy! 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 At last! News of Jonathan! The dear fellow has been ill. That is why he did not write. I am to leave in the morning and go over to Jonathan and to help to nurse him if necessary and to bring him home. It would not be a bad thing if we were to be married out there. I have cried over the good sister's letter till I can feel it wet against my bosom where it lies. My journey is all mapped out and my luggage ready. The letter that he has seen and touched must comfort me till we meet.
4: 20th August. The case of Renfield grows even more interesting. Just as the moon rose, he grew
2: quiet. Now I can wait.
4: He was still in the straight waistcoat and in the parted room, but the suffused look had gone from his face, and his eyes had something of their old look. I was satisfied with his present condition and directed him to be relieved to his own room. Three nights as the same thing happened. Violent all day, then quiet from moonrise to sunrise. I wish I could get some clue to the cause. It would almost seem as if there was some influence which came and went.
2: Sirs Carter Patterson & Company, London, to Messrs. Billington & Son Solicitors Whitby, 21st August, Dear Sirs, goods are delivered to Carfax in exact accordance with instructions and keys left in parcel in the main hall. We are, dear Sirs, yours respectfully, Carter Patterson & Company.
3: Letter, Mina Harker to Lucy Westenra, Budapest, 24th August. My dearest Lucy, I know you will be anxious to hear all that has happened since we parted at the railway station at Whitby. Well, my dear, I got to Hull all right and caught the boat to Hamburg and then the train on here. I feel that I can hardly recall anything of the journey. I found my dear one, oh, so thin and pale and weak-looking— All the resolution has gone out of his dear eyes. He is only a wreck of himself, and he does not remember anything that has happened to him for a long time past. At least, he wants me to believe so, and I shall never ask. Sister Agatha, who is a good creature and a born nurse, tells me that he raved of dreadful things whilst he was off his head. I wanted her to tell me what they were, but she would only cross herself and say she would never tell that the ravings of the sick were the secrets of God. Jonathan asked me for his coat, as he wanted to get something from the pocket. I saw that amongst them was his notebook, and was going to ask him to let me look at it, for I knew that I might find some clue to his trouble. He put his hand over it. Wilhelmina. I knew then that he was in deadly earnest, for he has never called me by that name since he asked me to marry him.
1: You know, dear, my ideas of the trust between husband and wife. There should be no secret, no concealment. You know I have had brain fever, and that is to be mad. The secret is here, and I do not want to know it. I want to take up my life here with our marriage. Are you willing, Wilhelmina, to share my ignorance? Here is the book. Take it and keep it. Read it if you will. But never let me know.
3: I have asked Sister Agatha to beg the superior to let our wedding be this afternoon. She has come and told me that we are to be married in an hour. Lucy, the time has come and gone. I feel very solemn, but very, very happy. Jonathan sat up in bed, propped up with pillows. He answered his I will firmly and strongly. I could hardly speak, my heart was so full that even those words seemed to choke me. When the chaplain and the sisters had left me alone with my husband, oh Lucy, it is the first time I have written the words, my husband. I took the book from under his pillow and wrapped it up in white paper and tied it with a little bit of pale blue ribbon which was round my neck and sealed it over the knot with sealing wax. I told him I would keep it so and then it would be an outward and visible sign for us all our lives that we trusted each other, that I would never open it unless it were for his own dear sake. Then he took my hand in his and said that it was the dearest thing in all the wide world. I do hope you will be always as happy as I am now. I shall post this at once, and perhaps write you very soon again. Your ever-loving Mina Harker.
1: Diary, 24th August, Hillingham. I must imitate Mina and keep writing things down. Then we can have long talks when we do meet. I wonder when it will be. Last night, I seemed to be dreaming again, just as I was at Whitby. It was all dark and horrid to me, for I can remember nothing. But I am full of vague fear, and I feel so weak and oh, so worn out. When Arthur came to lunch, he looked quite grieved when he saw me and I hadn't the spirit to try to be cheerful. I wonder if I could sleep in Mother's room tonight. I shall make an excuse and try. 25th August. Another bad night! Mother did not seem to take to my proposal. She seems not too well herself. I tried to keep awake and succeeded for a while. But when the clock struck twelve, it waked me from a doze, so I must have been falling asleep. There was a sort of scratching or flapping at the window. More bad dreams. I wish I could remember them. This morning, I am horribly weak. My face is ghastly pale, and my throat pains me. It must be something wrong with my lungs, for I don't seem ever to get enough air. I shall try to cheer up when Arthur comes, or else I know he will be miserable to see me so. Letter Lucy Westenra to Mina Harker Whitby, 30th August My dearest Mina, oceans of love and millions of kisses, may you soon be in your own home with your husband. I wish you could be coming home soon enough to stay with us here. The strong air would soon restore, Jonathan. It has quite restored me. I have an appetite like a cormorant and full of life and sleep well. You'll be glad to know that I have quite given up walking in my sleep. Arthur says I'm getting fat. By the way, I forgot to tell you that Arthur is here. We have such walks and drives and rides and rowing and tennis and fishing together, and I love him more than ever. He tells me that he loves me more, but I doubt that, for at first, he told me that he couldn't love me more than he did then. This is nonsense. There he is, calling to me. So no more, just at present. From your loving, Lucy. P.S. Mother sends her love. She seems better, poor dear. P.P.S. We are to be married on 28th September.
2: Letter, Arthur Holmwood to Jack Seward, Albemarle Hotel, 31st August. My dear Jack, I want you to do me a favour. Lucy is ill. That is, she has no special disease, but she looks awful and is getting worse every day. I have asked her if there is any cause. I do not dare ask her mother, for to disturb the poor lady's mind about her daughter in her present state of health would be fatal. Mrs. Westenra has confided to me of her heart disease... "'Though poor Lucy does not know it yet. "'It would be a painful task for you, I know, old friend, "'but it is for her sake and I must not hesitate to ask. "'You are to come to lunch at Hillingham tomorrow, two o'clock, "'so as not to arouse any suspicion in Mrs. Westenra. "'And after lunch, Lucy will take an opportunity of being alone with you. "'I am filled with anxiety and want to consult with you as soon as I can "'after you have seen her. Do not fail, Arthur.' Telegram, Arthur Holmwood to Seward, 1st September. Am summoned to see my father, who is worse. Write me fully by tonight's post.
4: Letter from Dr. Seward to Arthur Homewood, 2nd September. My dear old fellow, with regard to Miss Westerner's health, I hasten to let you know at once that in my opinion... There is not any functional disturbance or any malady that I know of. At the same time, I am not by any means satisfied with her appearance. She is woefully different from what she was when I saw her last. I could easily see that she is somewhat bloodless, but I could not see the usual anemic signs. In other physical matters, I was quite satisfied that there is no need for anxiety, but as there must be a cause somewhere, she complains of difficulty in breathing satisfactorily at times, and of heavy, lethargic sleep, with dreams that frighten her, but regarding which she can remember nothing. I have done the best thing that I know of. I have written to my old friend and master, Professor van Helsing of Amsterdam, who knows as much about obscure diseases as anyone in the world. I have asked him to come at once. He is a philosopher and a metaphysician, and one of the most advanced scientists of his day. This with an iron nerve and the kindliest and truest heart that beats. These form his equipment for the noble work that he is doing for mankind. I tell you these facts that you may know why I have such confidence in him. I shall see Miss Westenra tomorrow again. Yours always, John Seward.
0: Letter from Abraham Van Helsing, M.D., PhD, etc., etc., to Dr. Seward, 2nd September. My good friend, when I received your letter, I am already coming to you. By good fortune, I can leave just at once. Please, it's so arranged that we may see the young lady not too late tomorrow. Till then, goodbye, my friend John. Van Helsing.
4: Letter from Dr. Seward to the Honourable Arthur Holmwood, 3rd September. My dear Art, Van Helsing has come and gone. He made a very careful examination of the patient. He is to report to me, and I shall advise you. He is, I fear, much concerned, but says he must think. You must not be angry with me, Art, because his very reticence means that all his brains are working for her good. Lucy was more cheerful than on the day I first saw her, and certainly looked better. She was very sweet to the professor, though I could see that the poor girl was making a hard struggle for it. I believe Van Helsing saw it too, for I saw the quick look under his bushy brows that I knew of old. I have made careful examination,
0: but there is no functional cause. With you, I agree that there has been much blood lost... The conditions of her are in no way anemic. And yet, there is cause. There is always cause for everything. I must go back home and think. If there be cause, I shall come again. The sweet young dear, she interests me too. She charms me. And for her,
4: if not for you or disease, I come. I trust your poor father is rallying. It must be a terrible thing to you, my dear old fellow, to be placed in such a position between two people, who are both so dear to you. I shall send you word to come at once to Lucy, so do not be over-anxious unless you hear from me. Fourth September. Zufigus' patient still keeps up our interest. He was catching flies and eating them and was keeping note of his capture by making nail marks on the edge of the door. When he saw me, he came over and apologised for his bad conduct, and asked me in a very humble, cringing way to be led back to his own room. I thought it well to humour him, so he is back in his room with the window open. He has the sugar of his tea spread out on the windowsill, and is reaping
2: quite a harvest of flies. All over, all over, he's deserted me. No hope for me now unless I do it for myself. Midnight.
4: I have seen lately another change in him. I had been to see Miss Westenra, whom I found much better and had just returned, when once more I heard him yelling. It was a shock to me to turn from the wonderful smoky beauty of a sunset over London and to realise all the grim sternness of my own cold stone building and my own desolate heart to endure it all. I reached him just as the sun was going down, and from his window saw the red disc sink. As it sank... He became less and less frenzied, until he slid an inert mass on the floor. It is wonderful, however, what intellectual recuperative power lunatics have. He went straight over to the window and brushed out the crumbs of sugar, and then he shut the window.
2: I'm sick of all that rubbish.
4: Telegram, Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam. 4th September. Patient still better today. Telegram. Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam. 5th September. Patient greatly improved. Good appetite, sleeps naturally, good spirits, colour coming back. Telegram. Seward, London, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam. 6th September. Terrible change for the worse. Come at once. Do not lose an hour. I hold over telegram to Homewood till I have seen you. Letter from Dr. Seward to the Honourable Arthur Homewood. 6th September. My dear Art, Lucy this morning had gone back a bit. There is, however, one good thing which has arisen from it. Mrs. Westenrath has consulted me professionally about her. I told her that my old master, Van Helsing, the great specialist, was coming to stay with me, and that I would put her in his charge conjointly with myself, so now we can come and go without alarming her unduly, for a shock to her would mean sudden death. We are hedged in with difficulties, all of us, my poor old fellow, but please God we shall come through them all right. In haste, John Seward. 7th September. I met with Van Helsing at Liverpool Street. I wondered if he had learned anything more. I have for myself thoughts at the present. Later I shall unfold to you. Why not now? It may do some good. We may arrive at some decision. Friend John, when the corn is grown, even before it is ripened, while the milk
0: of its mother earth is in him and the sunshine has not yet begun to paint him, this is gold, The husbandman, he pulls the ear and up him between his rough hands, and blow away the green chaff, and say to you, look, he is good corn. He will make a good crop when the time comes. The good husbandman tell you so then because he knows, but not till then. But you do not find the good husbandman dig up his planted corn to see if it grow. See you now, friend John, I have sown my corn, and nature has her work to do in making it sprout, and I wait till the ear
4: begins to swell. Van Helsing and I were shown up to Lucy's room. If I was shocked when I saw her yesterday, I was horrified when I saw her today. She was ghastly, chockily pale. The red seemed to have gone even from her lips and gums, and the bones of her face stood out prominently. Her breathing was painful to see or hear. Van Helsing's face grew set as marble, and his eyebrows converged till they almost touched over his nose. Lucy lay motionless and did not seem to have strength to speak. My God,
0: there is no time to be lost. She will die for sheer want of blood to keep her heart's action as it should be. There must be a transfusion of blood at once. Is it you or me?
4: I am younger and stronger, Professor. It must be me. Get ready at once. I will bring up my bag. I am prepared. I went downstairs with him, and as we were going, there was a knock at the hall door. When we reached the hall, the maid had just opened the door, and Arthur was stepping quickly in.
2: Jack, I was so anxious. I read between the lines of your letter and have been in agony. Is not that gentleman Dr. Van Helsing? I am so thankful to you, sir, for coming. Sir, you have come in time. You are the lover of our dear miss.
0: She is bad. Very bad. You are to help her. You can do
2: more than any that live, and your courage is your best help. What can I do? Tell me, and I shall do it. My life is hers, and I would give the last drop of blood in my body for her. My good sir, I do not ask so much as that. Not the last.
0: I don't understand. Young miss is bad. Very bad. She wants blood, and blood she must have or die. We are about to perform what we call transfusion of blood. To transfer from full veins of one to the empty veins
4: which pine for him. We all went up to Lucy's room. Van Helsing took some things from his bag and laid them out on a little table out of sight. Then he mixed a narcotic...
0: Now, little miss, here is your medicine. Drink it off, like a good child. See? I lift you so that to swallow is easy.
4: Yes. It astonished me how long the drug took to act. At last, she fell into a deep sleep. When the professor was satisfied, he called Arthur into the room and bade him strip off his coat. Then, with swiftness but with absolute method, Van Helsing performed the operation. As the transfusion went on, something like life seemed to come back to poor Lucy's cheeks. And through Arthur's growing pallor, the joy of his face seemed absolutely to shine. After a bit, I began to grow anxious, for the loss of blood was telling on Arthur, strong man as he was. It gave me an idea of what a terrible strain Lucy's system must have undergone that what weakened Arthur only partially restored her. When all was over, and once he had finished the operation, Van Helsing adjusted the pillow to the patient's head. As he did so, the narrow black velvet band, which she seemed always to wear around her throat, was dragged a little up and showed a red mark on her throat. Arthur did not notice it, but I could hear the deep hiss of indrawn breath, which is one of Van Helsing's ways of betraying emotion. He said nothing at the moment, but turned to me instead. Now
0: take down our brave young lover. He must send go home and rest,
4: sleep much, and
0: eat much, that he may be recruited of what he has so given to his love. In all the ways the operation is successful.
4: When Arthur had gone, I went back to the room. Lucy was sleeping gently, but her breathing was stronger. By the bedside sat Van Helsing, looking at her intently. What do you make of that mark on her throat? What do you make of it? I have not examined it yet. Just over the external jugular vein, there were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome-looking. There was no sign of disease, but the edges were white and worn-looking as if by some trituration. It at once occurred to me that this wound, or whatever it was, might be the means of that manifest loss of blood, but I abandoned the idea as soon as it formed, for such a thing could not be. The whole bed would have been drenched to a scarlet with the blood which the girl must have lost to leave such a pallor as she had before the transfusion. I can make nothing of it. I
0: must go back to Amsterdam tonight. There are books and things which I want. You must remain here all night, and you must not let your sight pass from her. You must not sleep all night. Later on, we can sleep, you and I. I shall be back as soon as possible, and then we may begin. What on earth do you mean? We
4: shall see. 8th September. I sat up all night with Lucy. The opiate worked itself off towards dusk and she waked naturally. Her spirits even were good and she was full of a happy vivacity, but I could see evidences of the absolute prostration which she had undergone. After a long spell, she seemed sinking off to sleep, but with an effort seemed to pull herself together and shook it off. You do not want to go to sleep?
1: No, I am afraid.
4: Afraid to go to sleep? Why so?
1: I don't know. Oh, I don't know. And that is what is so terrible. All this weakness comes to me in sleep, until I dread the very thought. But my dear girl,
4: you may sleep tonight. I am here watching you, and I can promise that nothing will happen.
1: How good you are to me! Then I will sleep.
4: All night long I watched by her. She never stirred, but slept on and on in a deep, tranquil, life-giving, health-giving sleep. Her lips were slightly parted, and her breast rose and fell with the regularity of a pendulum. A telegram came from Van Helsing at Amsterdam, suggesting that I should be at Hillingham tonight, and that he would join me early in the morning. 9th September. I was pretty tired and worn out when I got to Hillingham. For two nights, I had hardly had a wink of sleep and my brain was beginning to feel that numbness which marks cerebral exhaustion. Lucy was up and in cheerful spirits.
1: No sitting up tonight for you. You are worn out. I'm quite well again. Indeed I am. And if there is to be any sitting up, it is I who will sit up with you.
4: Lucy took me upstairs and showed me a room next to her own, where a cosy fire was burning.
1: I shall leave this door open in my door too. You can lie on the sofa, for I know that nothing would induce any of you doctors to go to bed, whilst there is a patient above the horizon. If I want anything, I shall call out, and you can come to me at once.
4: I was dog-tired and could not have sat up had I tried. So, on renewing her promise to call me if she should want anything... I lay on the sofa and forgot all about everything.
1: Diary, 9th September. I feel so happy tonight. I have been so miserably weak... That to be able to think and move about is like feeling sunshine... After a long spell of east wind out of a steel sky. Somehow Arthur feels very, very close to me... I seem to feel his presence warm about me. My dear, my dear, how your ears must tingle as you sleep, as mine do waking. Oh, the blissful rest of last night. How I slept with that dear, good Dr. Seward watching me. And tonight I shall not fear to sleep since he is close at hand and within call. Thank everybody for being so good to me. Thank God. Oh, good night, Arthur.
4: I was conscious of the professor's hand on my head and started awake all in a second. That is one of the things that we learn in an asylum, at any rate. And how is our patient? Well, when I left her, or rather when she left me, and together we went into the room. As I raised the blinds and the morning sunlight flooded the room, I heard the professor's low hiss, as knowing its rarity, a deadly fear shot through my heart. God in himmel! There on the bed, seemingly in a swoon, lay poor Lucy, more horribly white and wan-looking than ever. Even her lips were white, and the gums seemed to have shrunken back from the teeth, as we sometimes see in a corpse after a prolonged illness. It's not too late! Her heart, it beats,
0: but feebly. All our work is undone! We must begin again. There is no young Arthur here now. I have to call on you this time, friend John.
4: I had taken off my coat and rolled up my shirt sleeve. It was with a feeling of personal pride as I could see a faint tinge of colour steal back into the pallid cheeks and lips. No man knows, till he experiences it, what it is to feel his own lifeblood drawn away into the veins of the woman he loves. That will do. Already? You took a great deal more from art. He is her lover.
0: Her fiancé. You have work. Much work to do for her and for others. And the present will suffice. Mind? Nothing? Must be said of
4: this, would at once frighten him, and then jealous him too. I had done my part, and now my next duty was to keep up my strength. I fell asleep on the sofa, however, wondering over and over again how Lucy had made such a retrograde movement, and how she could have been drained of so much blood, with no sign anywhere to show for it. Lucy slept well into the day, and when she woke, she was fairly well and strong, though not nearly so much as the day before. First, I go
0: to the telegraph office. Then I stay here tonight, and I shall sit up with the little miss myself. You and I must watch the case.
4: 11th September. This afternoon, I found Van Helsing in excellent spirits, and Lucy much better. Shortly after I had arrived, a big parcel from abroad came for the Professor. Inside showed a great bundle of white flowers. These are for you, Miss Lucy.
1: For me, oh, Doctor Van Helsing! Uh,
4: yes, my dear, but not for you to
0: play with. These are medicines. Ah, my pretty miss, brings so nice nose all straight again. This is medicinal, but you do not know how. I put him in your window. I make pretty wreath. I hang him round your neck so that you sleep well. They like the lotus flower. Make your trouble
1: forgotten. Oh, Professor, I believe you are only putting up a joke on me. Why, these flowers are only common garlic.
0: No trifling with me. I never jest. There is grim purpose in all I do. Take care for the sake of others, if not for your own. Little Miss, my dear, do not fear me. I only do for your good. But there is much virtue to you in the so common flowers. See. I place myself in your room. I make myself the wreath that you are to wear. But hush, we must obey. And silence is part of obedience. And obedience is to bring you strong and well into loving arms that wait for you. Come with me, friend John, and
4: you shall help me deck the room with my garlic. The professor's actions were certainly odd and not to be found in any pharmacopoeia that I ever heard of. First, he fastened up the windows and latched them securely. Next, taking a handful of the flowers, he rubbed them all over the sashes, as though to ensure that every whiff of air that might get in would be laden with the garlic smell. Then, with the wisp, he rubbed all over the jam of the door, above, below, and at each side, and round the fireplace in the same way. Well, Professor, you are working some spell to keep out an evil spirit. Perhaps I am. He himself fixed the wreath of garlic round her neck. Take care, you do
0: not disturb it. Even if the room feel close, do not tonight open the window or the door.
1: I promise, and thank you both a thousand times for all your kindness to me. Oh, what have I done to be blessed with such friends?
0: Tomorrow in the morning early you call for me, and we come
4: together to see our pretty miss. So much more strong for my spell which I have work <laughs> He seemed so confident that I... Remembering my own confidence two nights before, and with the baneful result, felt awe and vague terror. It must have been my weakness that made me hesitate to tell it to my friend, but I felt it all the more, like unshed tears.
1: 12th September. How good they all are to me! I quite love that dear Dr. Van Helsing. I wonder why he was so anxious about these flowers. He positively frightened me, he was so fierce. And yet he must have been right, for I feel comfort from them already. Somehow I do not dread being alone tonight, and I can go to sleep without fear. I shall not mind any flapping outside the window. Well, here I am tonight, hoping for sleep, and lying like Ophelia in the play, with virgin crans and maiden instruments. I never liked garlic before, But tonight, it is delightful. There is peace in its smell. Mm, I feel sleep coming already.
4: 13th September. Van Helsing and I arrived at Hillingham at eight o'clock. It was a lovely morning. The bright sunshine and all the fresh feeling of early autumn seemed like the completion of nature's annual work. Leaves were turning to all kinds of beautiful colours, but had not yet begun to drop from the trees. We met Mrs. Westenra coming out of the morning room.
1: You'll be glad to know that Lucy is better. The dear child has stood asleep. I looked into her room and saw her, but did not go in, lest I should disturb her.
0: (laughs) Aha! I thought I had diagnosed the case! My treatment is
1: working! You must not take all the credit to yourself, Doctor. Lucy's state this morning is doing part to me. (laughs) How
0: do you mean, madam?
1: Well, I was anxious about the dear child and the night and went into her room. She was sleeping so soundly that even my coming did not wake her. But the room was awfully stuffy. There were a lot of those horrible, strong-smelling flowers about everywhere. And she actually had a bunch of them round her neck. I feared that the heavy odour would be too much for the dear, dear child in her weak state, so I took them all away and opened a bit of the window to let in a little fresh air. You'll be pleased with her, I'm sure.
4: I watched the professor's face and saw it turn ashen grey. He had been able to retain his self-command whilst the poor lady was present, for he knew her state and how a shock would be. But the instant she had disappeared, he pulled me, suddenly and forcibly, into the dining room and closed the door. Then... For the first time in my life, I saw Van Helsing break down. He raised his hands over his head in a sort of mute despair, and then beat his palms together in a helpless way. Finally, he sat down on a chair and, pulling his hands before his face, began to sob with loud, dry sobs that seemed to come from the very racking of his heart. God!
0: God! God! What have we done? What has this poor thing done that we are so so beset? This poor mother, all annoying and all for the best as she think does such a thing as lose her daughter body and soul And we must not tell her we must not even warn her or she die and then both die How are all the powers of the devils against us? Oh, come on. we must see and act Devils, or no devils, or all the devils at once, it matters not. We fight him all the same.
4: Once again I drew up the blind, whilst Van Helsing went towards the bed. As I expected. Without a word, he went and locked the door. He set out on the little table the instruments for yet another operation of transfusion of blood. I had long ago recognized the necessity and begun to take off my coat, but he stopped me with a warning hand. No. Today you must operate... I shall provide. You are weakened already. Again, the operation. Again, some return of colour to the ashy cheeks, and the regular breathing of healthy sleep. This time, I watched whilst Van Helsing recruited himself and rested. Presently, he took an opportunity of telling Mrs. Wessenra that she must not remove anything from Lucy's room without consulting him, that the flowers were of medicinal value and that the breathing of their odour was a part of the system of cure. Then he took over the care of the case himself, saying that he would watch this night and the next, and would send me word when to come. What does it all mean? I am beginning to wonder if my long habit of life amongst the insane is beginning to tell upon my own brain.
1: 17 September Four days and nights of peace, I'm getting so strong again that I hardly know myself. It is as if I had passed through some long nightmare, and had just awakened to see the beautiful sunshine, and feel the fresh air of the morning around me. I have grown quite fond of the garlic, and a box full arrives for me every day from Amsterdam. Tonight, Dr. Van Helsing is going away, as he has to be for a day in Amsterdam. But I need not be watched. I am well enough to be left alone. Last night, Dr. Van Helsing slept in his chair a lot of the time. I found him asleep twice when I woke, but I did not fear to go to sleep again. Although the boughs or bats or something rapped almost angrily against the window panes. Hmm.
4: 17th September. I was engaged after dinner in my study, posting up my books. Suddenly, the door was burst open and in rushed my patient. He had a dinner knife in his hand, and as I saw he was dangerous, I tried to keep the table between us. He was too quick and too strong for me and had struck at me and cut my left wrist rather severely. When the attendants rushed in, he was lying on his belly on the floor, licking up like a dog the blood which had fallen from my wounded wrist. The blood is the life! The blood is the life! I cannot afford to lose blood just at present. I am overexcited and weary, and I need rest. Happily, Van Helsing has not summoned me, so I need not forget my sleep.
0: Telegram from Van Helsing, Antwerp to Seward, Carfax, 17th September. Do not fail to be at Hillingham tonight. If not watching all the time, visit and see that flowers are as placed. Very important, do not fail. Shall be with you as soon as possible.
1: Memorandum by Lucy Westenra, 17th September, night. I write this and leave it to be seen, so that no one may by any chance get into trouble through me. This is an exact record of what took place tonight. I feel I am dying of weakness and have barely strength to write, but it must be done if I die in the doing. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the flowers were placed as Dr. Van Helsing directed and soon fell asleep. I was waked by the flapping at the window. I was not afraid, but I did wish that Dr. Seward was in the next room, as Dr. Van Helsing said he would be, so that I might have called him. Then outside, I heard a sort of howl like a dog's, but more fierce and deeper. (sighs) Presently, the door opened, and Mother looked in. Seeing by my moving that I was not asleep, came in and sat by me. I feared she might catch cold sitting there, and asked her to come in and sleep with me, so she came into bed and lay down beside me. As she lay there in my arms, and I in hers, the flapping and buffeting came to the window again. She was startled and a little frightened. I tried to pacify her, and and at last succeeded, and she lay quiet, but I could hear her poor dear heart still beating terribly. After a while, there was a low howl again, closer in the shrubbery, and shortly after there was a crash at the window, and a lot of broken glass was hurled on the floor. The window blind blew back with the wind that rushed in, and there was the face of a great gaunt gray wolf. Mother cried out in a fright. For a second or two she sat up, and there was a strange and horrible gurgling in her throat. Then she fell over, as if struck with lightning. I kept my eyes fixed on the window, but the wolf drew his head back, away from the window, and in its place a whole myriad of little specks seemed to come blowing in through the broken window and wheeling and circling round like a pillar of dust, danced through the room and out into the hallway. Oh, I tried to stir but there was some spell upon me, in dear mother's poor body, which seemed to grow cold already, for her dear heart had ceased to beat, weighed me down. The sound seemed to have wakened the maids too, for I could hear their bare feet pattering outside my door. When they saw what had happened and what it was that lay over me on the bed, they screamed out. <gasps> they lifted off the body of my dear mother and laid her covered up with a sheet on the bed after I had got up. They were all so frightened and nervous that I directed them to go into the dining room and have each a glass of wine. I laid what flowers I had on my dear mother's breast. I remembered what Dr. Van Helsing had told me, but I didn't like to remove them. And besides, I would have some of the servants to sit up with me now. I was surprised that the maids did not come back. I called them, but got no answer, so I went to the dining room to look for them. My heart sank when I saw what had happened. They all four lay helpless on the floor, breathing heavily. The decanter of sherry was on the table half full. A few of those little specks dancing round the opening. I was suspicious and examined the decanter. It smelled of laudanum in the bottle which Mother's doctor uses for her. Oh, did use, was empty. What am I to do? What am I to do? I am back in the room with Mother. I cannot leave her. And I am alone, save for the sleeping servants who someone has drugged. Alone with the dead! I dare not go out, I can hear the low howl of the wolf through the broken window. The air seems full of specks, floating and circling in the draught from the window. And the lights burn blue and dim. What am I to do? God shield me from harm this night. I shall hide this paper in my breast, where they shall find it when they come to lay me out. My dear mother gone, it is time that I go too. Goodbye dear Arthur, if I should not survive this night. God keep you dear, and God help me. Dracula, the Radio Play miniseries. Episode 4, cast.
4: Kenneth Sergienko as Dr. Seward.
1: Tina Aurora as Lucy,
3: Sister Agatha, Mrs. Westenra.
2: Duncan Cairns as Arthur Renfield, lawyer.
3: Heather Smith as Mina.
2: Robert Harrower as Van
4: Helsing. Maneer Malik Noor as Jonathan Harker.
3: Directed
1: and edited by Robin Satterboy and produced by Alex Raguzino for the Oakville Players. For information about Creative Commons licensed music used in this episode, see the episode description. Sound effects from Pixabay and freesound.org.